Hey guys, welcome to another episode. I'm very excited today because we have a special guest with us. We have with us Dr. Abby Metcalf, who is going to talk to us about the true way to shift our negative thoughts and how that can help us just to live a better all better overall life. So I'm very excited today to get started. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. I am your host, Melissa Oatman from melissaoatman.com. If you are new, I want to welcome you. If you're returning, welcome back. So good morning and welcome. Thank you for being here with us today, Abby. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I was excited to come on. It's so nice for you to be here, and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about shifting negative thinking because we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and there's an actual science behind this. So I'm very excited to dig into this <laughs> and to hear more about it. Um, why don't you start, though, by just giving us a little background about you, who you are, and how you got here today doing what you do? Yeah. Woof. And, I, and that would be the whole hour, obviously, but we'll make it short. We'll do, we'll do the shorter version, but, um, you know, basically I'm a native New York, New Yorker, and uh, I'm here in the Bay area now. So it's a little weird, but, um, and I, uh, am a recovering heroin addict and, you know, that was all during my teen years and very young. And when I got clean and sober, uh, there was, you know, suddenly this new world ahead of me. So I had been, obviously, you don't become a heroin addict when you're 12 and, you know, you're feeling great about yourself or feeling very spiritual or very connected. And um, of course, using uh, the 12 steps and getting clean and sober, it really led me on this journey to sort of figure out what I wanted to do. And I had originally been going to, I have a bachelor's in poli sci because I wanted to be a lawyer. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then as I, as I went through treatment and got myself together and started to really uh, explore who I wanted to be and what the possibilities were, it, that all started to shift and change. And so, you know, I did Est when it used to be called Est, now it's called Landmark, but uh, I did Lifespring. I walked on hot coals with Anthony Robbins back in the day when there was 200 people in the room. I mean, it's, uh, I'm old, so it's, it's, been, it's been a long go. And um, I did A Course in Miracles and I, you know, I just kept sort of on this path of figuring out kind of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be in the world. and. Uh, I, you know, went and got a master. I eventually went and got a master's in counseling. I realized I was good at that. I actually moved to the Middle East for a few years in between there. And again, another spiritual awakening. I just think those happen over and over as we, you know, kind of find ourselves. And I eventually went on to get an MBA. And then my PhD is actually in organizational psychology. So I have this sort of interesting mix because I've worked in big business and I work with people directly. Uh, and so I have this sort of unique mix and I think that's what really makes what I do more special because it's, uh, it's not just what works in counseling and it's not just what works, you know, in business. It's, it's this, it's this intertwining of the two. Um, and I am a voracious reader. And so I'm always using research and what's the best. And then my hands-on experience of people and kind of mixing all of those things together, and for myself in my journey of getting through how I used to talk to myself in my head and learning that I had to really change that, you know, how I would, um, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, that kind of stuff. When good things happened, I was often thinking, yeah, how long is that going to last? And so there was just this consistent, I'd meet a great guy and I'd think, uh, 
too good to be true. And that would happen. These sorts of things would happen over and over. And as good things happened in my life, there was this way I was always thinking, like I was scared of them. I was scared of the good things happening because it felt like the bad things would be worse. It's, uh, I say to my clients all the time, you know, we, we fear feeling good sometimes because we feel like, well, if I fall from the first floor of a building, it's not going to hurt as much as if I fall from the 10th floor of a building. And right. So I won't feel that good. I won't hope that much. I won't get way up there because, you know, inevitably the bad stuff's going to happen and then it won't be so bad. And it's why we guard our hearts and love. You know, we, we guard our hearts. We we're worried of people taking advantage of us and we don't want to say, I love you first. And you know, all the things that stop us from really it's, we have faith and fear, but we don't have faith in love. You know, we, we put, we put faith in that and not, and both of them are unknown, right? I don't know what the future is going to be. It could be fabulous or not. You just gave me the chills with that. Good. Have faith and fear and not faith and love. That's so true. It's like we have yep. we're doing the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. And that's yes. so true. More faith and fear than we yep. do in love. That's I love yep. that saying because it, it it absolutely sums yeah. up perfectly. <laughs> right. Well, faith is right, this belief in something you can't see yet. And so I don't know if the future is going to be negative. <laughs> I don't, why am I having faith in that? I can't see, yeah, I, I can't see all the love either, but they're, they're, they're equal. And it was really, um, and that really, when I did a, a course in miracles and I was in my twenties then, so about 30 years, 30 plus years ago, uh, I did a course in miracles. And if folks don't know, that's just, it's another spiritual I don't know how to say that spiritual philosophy and lessons there. It's pretty amazing to the course and, and I'm Jewish. So that was really weird because it's full of Jesus Christ and it's, it's full of, you know, very uh, Christian concepts, but, but it's really at its core, a human concept, which is uh, there's really only two things in the world, love and fear, and you can't be in both at the same time. And so you can choose where you're going. And for me, I took that as a leap of faith for many years. And then I started to read the science. And what was amazing was that when I learned how the brain works, it actually, the Course in Miracles, this woman who, who wrote the course said that Jesus spoke to her through her and she wrote this thing. It's, it's supported by science, absolutely, that you can't be in love and fear at the same time. Uh, the part of our brain I'll just go there quickly, but our amygdala, which is really that where that fear response lives, people notice the fight, flight, or freeze, you know, kind of response. Yeah. Yeah. When that part of your brain is lit, the your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's in charge of, you know, rational thinking, being logical, long-term planning, problem solving, all that good stuff. And your neocortex, which is where we think spirituality lives, your compassion and appreciation and all the goodies. Uh, when the amygdala is lit, it actually looks like there's a, like a blanket over the prefrontal cortex because they cannot be on at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. So when you're in a fear, and that's why, you know, you've had it when you're just agitated about something and really scared and really worried. And someone comes at you with some rational, good ideas for how to handle it. <laughs> it's like, right. We don't sit and go, Oh, that's great. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Thanks so much. Yeah. We, right. We freak out. We're like, I can't do that because of this. And we get very, because we literally can't think with that side of our brain, mm-hmm. literally. So And that's actually, we can just jump in right there as far as people really walking away with something. If your partner or your child or your friend or your mother, whoever it is, is coming to you and let's say they're complaining about, I don't know, you know, Barb at work, right? (laughs) She's so, you know, and she's brown noser and the boss loves her and she doesn't do any work and right, they're complaining. And this is a sort of a classic, right? This kind of thing. And then let's say, you know, I'm complaining to my partner about it. And maybe he, you know, he's like, well, you know, have you talked to your boss and have you done this and have you done that? Right. And he's giving me all these things. What's happening is my, you know, this fear part of my brain is lit up. So I'm not listening. And as anybody knows, who's tried to make that intervention, (laughs) who's tried to do that, who's tried to be rational when I've tried to be rational with my 17 year old, when they're freaking out about a math test, right? Well, oh, well, you've, you've done okay before. Why don't you just study this way? Right? Nothing. They get, they escalate, they get more upset. And it's really this ancient part of our brain because we're interpreting any, any stress like that any stress, you know, any threat, it's considered a threat, Barb at work, my math test, right? Paying a bill. And it's literally this ancient part of our brain that we're so hardwired. This is that negative thinking that it's a, it's a lion. It's a tiger about to eat me literally. So I think it's a tiger about to eat me and you come and go, well, should we run from the tiger? I don't know. Let's talk about that. Let's have a rational conversation about the tiger. (laughs) And so of course I escalate. I'm like, there's a tiger, you know, and I start to get really crazy and that's exactly what's happening. So, because, so what you need to do, I call it say yes first, like the little, the little trick for this is that you actually want to match emotion, but not tone. Because what you want to do is calm that amygdala first. So for example, if my, if my son is, you know, upset about the math test, I, I'm, I, and I've done this, I've walked over and said, oh, wow. How, how many chapters you got? Oof, nine. Oof, that's a lot. That sucks. Cause it does suck. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, if it's Barb at work, you know, the same thing. Oh, she's still bothering you. God, I'm so, you know, that's, that sucks. That's, that's such a bummer. You know, I hate, yeah, I hate seeing you this way. That's, you know, blah, blah, blah. When we do that, we are telling the other person that we see, that we see the lion about to eat us. We see the tiger. We, you know, we see the threat. And when we do that, they, I'm telling you, it works every time. The person calms down immediately. They're like, yeah. And you see the breath and you watch the body language. So yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and sometimes it, by the way, it takes two rounds. You know, sometimes they're so amped up. You might have to do it a couple of times, but Believe it or not, it works. I'm going to say, I'm going to call it the 100% guarantee unless someone is truly um, has a severe, severe mental illness, it's going to work. And that and the majority of people do not have a severe, severe mental illness. So it's going to work. And so you're matching their emotion, just not their tone. You don't want to escalate with them. You know, you don't want to get up there with them. And it's then and only then that the amygdala, as it's not lit up, as it's not on fire, that then you might ask a question 
like, well, so, uh, well, what if you tried with Barb at work? Tell, talk to me, talk to me, give me a minute. What, what if you tried that hasn't worked? People love to share what hasn't worked. <laughs> so that'll always work. <laughs> that always get them talking now, but now we're talking. Now we're having a conversation that might be constructive. And then you might say, well, is there anything you haven't tried? Do you think you could, or do you, you know, is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything I can do to be supportive? Cause you know, I can't be at your work. What can I do? It's, it's not a time to give advice. You know, I always say, don't sack your relationships. Don't offer suggestions, give advice or criticize the SAC. Don't sack, don't offer suggestions, give advice or criticize. So, you know, what's left is asking questions to try to get that dialogue going. And now the person is fully in their prefrontal cortex. Now they are fully in that other side of their brain, which again, I call kind of the love side. You know, that's where, right? And they're out of the fear side. Now I can problem solve. Now I can think critically. Now I can be rational. And it is really, uh, it, it changes the game completely. Sorry, I've been talking a while. Yeah, and you know, I love that. And I think this is such wonderful advice for um, parents out there, especially because when you have teenagers, you know, a friend and I have been comparing notes about having teenagers recently. And it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. And especially sometimes just to get them to open up and talk to you when they're in that and you're trying to say, okay, what's going on in your head? Like, what are you thinking? And they just shut down and they don't want to say anything. But I feel like that first need is being met by being heard. When we listen before we do anything else. And like you said, matching like, oh my gosh, that happened to you. That's horrible. It's like it validates what they're feeling. And then they feel like they're being heard. So those are two really important things. And you're right, then they can start to kind of come down out of that emotion and the amygdala calms down. And I think that's a great piece of advice, not only for parents, but also teachers out there. Any teachers out there listening, mm-hmm. you know, when you get in a student's face, I've seen so many teachers do this. I'm like, why do you do this? This is not work. You can't have a problem student who's acting out and get in their face, you're just escalating it and making it 10 times yeah. worse. And you're going to have yeah. a big issue. You've got to learn how to do exactly what you're talking about. Students, if they feel comfortable with you and they feel like you're not an enemy, you know, you're actually there to help, then they're more yeah. willing to calm down and really tell you what's happening. And usually it's nothing to do with you or your class. It never had anything to do with you or your class. It was like, I had a fight with my mom on the way to school and then I was late and I got a tardy and then this happened. It's all of this whole thing that happened to them on the way to your class, but it blew up in your class because of some little trigger. And I think it's a really, really good technique. I think all teachers should be taught and we're not. So I'm a teacher too during the day and teachers are not taught that. I mean, there are certain workshops where you can go, but it's not a mandatory thing and it should be a mandatory thing because it's like common sense, but most people don't know how to do it because we are not taught how to communicate. No, it's you're no, you're right on. And I, 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 my kid's dad is a teacher and my mom was a teacher. I come from, I come from a long line of teachers and it, and I've done a lot of training for teachers and this is what I teach because and what I often hear from teachers is, you know, hey, well, I'm not supposed to be a social worker. And I, and I always respond, I hear that all the time. And I always respond with, 
this isn't about, this is about being a human. This isn't about being a social worker. This, this is about just being human and understanding. And yes, I hear you. Like you have less and less resources. I mean, the plight of teachers, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> it's a little pet peeve of mine, right? Just how horrible that all is. But so I, I get that. That's true. And we have less and less services at schools and all those things. I understand. And more than ever, why to have class, your classroom really feel uh, like a mutually respected space that you find. And it's such a, it really are simple tools. I mean, they're, and when you understand that this brain chemistry, I think it takes it out of the soft science and puts it into a hard science. You know, the like touchy feely, I'm supposed to be so nice. It's, this isn't about being nice or anything else. This is about what's effective. And I say a lot, would you rather be correct or effective? Because you can't be both. Yeah. You know, so you can be right all day that you shouldn't have to do all this and there should be more services at schools or that we should teach this in school so that you could grow up to be an adult too, can do this. And it's not effective to think that way. So what's effective is to have this little tool in your head, always be matching that emotion, right? Yeah. And then, and then, and, and what you said is so true. Just understanding that when someone is having a reaction, to anything really that's larger than the thing. You know, I asked, I asked John in class if he had a pencil and he lost his, you know what, right? Yeah. Obviously you're right. It's not about the pencil. Yeah. Just like if I'm arguing with my partner that, you know, they left their dirty socks on the floor. It's not about the socks. It's got, you know, it's never about the thing because socks, who cares? You'd walk by and pick them up and throw them in the hamper. It takes yes. seconds, like literally, yeah. as opposed to, but what's really happening, right? What's real, what you just spoke to. And just knowing that you, I hope would want to think, wow, that person now, remember you can't be in love and fear at the same time. And when two people are in fear, in a fear-based response, you've got nothing. Uh -huh. So here's this other person coming at you with fear, right? Why do you leave your socks on the floor? You don't respect me, you know, losing it, right? Or this kid in the classroom losing it. And if I come at fear with fear, with aggression, with defensiveness, right? With, with that, then I'm, we're, it's all lost. All is lost. And so for me, I, uh, you know, I come from in the 12 step program, we say, keep it simple, stupid, right. Which I don't like to call anyone stupid, but it's, it's just to, in our heads, like, keep it simple, just keep yeah. it simple. And so I always think to myself, the love-based emotions, right. Uh, appreciation, compassion, gentleness, kindness, love itself, you know, humor, right. The, the fear-based emotions, defensiveness, interrupting, uh, you know, remember it's those things too, right. It's, you know, obviously anger, you know, not really anger, anger is healthy, but rage, helplessness, hopelessness, all those. For me, it's so easy. What I do all the time is just, I just stop when I'm having an interaction and I check in. I think, like, what am I feeling right now? And if it's on the fear-based side, if I'm feeling rejected, abandoned, defensive, right? If I'm feeling, I can immediately go, oh, oh, I'm not getting anywhere here. This is not, this is not the response. You know, how do I, how do I get over here? And so the same thing, if someone's coming at me with something as counselor, you know, as a, as a psychologist, it's, there's a lot of training, obviously clients. And when I worked in business too, <laughs> I would work with executives in trouble. They're not happy to see me. They don't have always nice things to say to me, yeah. but because you're sort of in that frame that people might come to you with defensiveness and anger and lash out 
it's, it's, you know, you're trained to deal with that. You're trained to not take it personally. You're trained to do that. If, you know, a lot of teachers, like for example, right. I just came from home, probably getting my own kids off to school. And now I'm going to my job. Don't even talk about this last year that I don't even want to talk about Zoom and everything else, but let's just say normal, just because that was even worse. But, you know, now I have to go into the classroom, right? And maybe I was running late and I didn't get enough sleep last night because I had to wake up early and my, my lesson plans aren't done for the day or whatever, right? Or I was up reading papers all night, whatever it is, and you get in and now a student is reacting. That's not, you know, you have your day all planned and you have all these things you have to get to. And this is also people at home. Well, I have to do this, this, and this. I don't have time for you to tell me, you know, you want sex right now to your, to your husband or something, right? Or to your partner. Like, I don't have, I didn't factor that in. I didn't factor in Jimmy's blow up in class to my day. And so there, there's that like scared feeling, oh, I'm going to be off track now, or I'm doing a bad job, or I'm not a good wife or teacher or mother or husband, you know, whatever. And really it's our own fear-based reactions that are then, sort of, you know, fueling the fire. Yeah. And so as much as you can have some mindfulness and really take that moment, those moments to not get in that space. And that's actually one of my secrets to stopping negative thinking is, is positive momentum. I cannot say enough. We go on autopilot way too much, right? Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. ju- you're just going, you get in the class, you know, you're going, you're doing. And we're on autopilot and that, that distraction is actually when things can hit us and we just react, we, we react, we don't act. And so I am a big proponent of positive momentum because, and really staying on top of it all day. And it's super easy. It takes literally, literally minutes a day. It just takes uh, intention and attention, right. To really, but the rewards are so great. Uh, I can't say enough about it. So basically what I tell people is if there was a car on top of a hill and it started to roll, you wanted it to stop, <laughs> would you run to the bottom to stop it? Or would, right, you would stop yeah. it at the top of the hill. You, you right. don't want all that momentum at the bottom, but most people let their whole day go and they've been on autopilot and they get home at four o'clock and they have, maybe they drink too much. Maybe they eat too much. Maybe they snap at their partner or their kids. Maybe they're impatient. They're overwhelmed, you know, Right. Because the car is at the bottom of the hill and, and then they think, oh, right. I have to use that tool. Abby taught me on the podcast. It's like too late. Yeah. I say with love too late, four o'clock in the, it's too late. You might as well go take a nap instead. Really think of that. And what I talk to people about is very first thing when we wake up, there's a couple things you can do to start this. One is the what I notice a lot is people's first thought when they turn off an alarm is that it's not enough. Oh, I'm so tired. I didn't get enough sleep. Think of this. So I'm starting my day without enough. Literally my very, very first thought of the day, I'm starting my day and it's not enough. And that's not okay. <laughs> that's not gonna, that's not gonna get you off to a good start. The piece that's connected to that is the snooze alarm. I, I can't say enough about how bad that is for you. The science is there. The research is there. You get sleepier when you, when you use a snooze alarm. You, we have called something called sleep inertia that happens later or sleep inertia grogginess, it's called. And you're actually more tired using the snooze than you would have been had you not. You're also 
dismantling the cue, right? A cue, uh, this alarm goes off and I wake up as opposed to, I just hit this button over and over. And I always say to people, it's so funny. You hate waking up so much that you do it five times. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's insanity, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> right. And it's I, like, why do I can't do this time? But I, I had to, like, I started putting my phone across the room away from me yep. so that I had to physically get out of bed to go turn it off because yep. now I wake up before it even goes off. But um, yes. I, I, I would do that. I would hold the phone in my hand and just keep hitting that button, knowing how many uh-huh. times I could hit it. But you're right. It doesn't help you any at all. It just makes you more tired. Yeah. Right. And you're, and you're not keeping your very first commitment to yourself for the day. Literally this first commitment you made that I'm going to wake up when the alarm goes off. You don't, you're not keeping So what did your word mean to you the rest of the day? So for all those reasons, and that it's not a way to start your day with positive momentum put, and I did the same thing. I put my back in the day alarm clock. Yes. Across the room. Cause we used to have those. Uh, I put my alarm clock across the room. That's what I had to do. Cause I couldn't get up, you know, otherwise if it was right there. So do whatever you have to do, have a friend, wake you up, whatever your partner, whatever it's going to take, but really, and it takes about two weeks, just so you know, it takes about biologically, it takes about two, it's really two and a half weeks, but uh, for your body to adjust and you will get up, you'll realize how much less tired you are just getting up with the alarm. It's kind of amazing. So that's your very first thing, right? There you go. And then make sure that your first thoughts are not these negative ones are not, I'm so tired. Oh, I don't. So I always take a moment and I write there and I appreciate something. And so that might be that, you know, my man, Gary, his, his, he's nice and warm. He's like a little heater. So I might think of how nice it is to be, maybe he's got me wrapped up in the moment when I wake up or he likes, he's a snuggler. Uh, so maybe it's something like that or how I have very nice sheets. You know, sometimes I'm just appreciating my sheets. And so, and for some people, you know, you might have to get like into a sitting position to do this because you don't want to fall back asleep. So whatever it is for you, but right there, look around your room, maybe something that you appreciate, like, oh, I love that picture above, you know, across from my bed or, oh, look, there's some, there's a picture of us on our honeymoon or my kids or something. And just appreciate for a moment, just feel it, just feel it in the moment. I tell people to do that all the time. And I always, to me, I always say, I appreciate this warm bed that I'm having a hard time getting out of, but I appreciate it. I love it. You know, it's funny because I, I separate appreciation and gratitude a lot and I don't love gratitude um, as much as other folks. I like appreciation and I really want, you will see a difference if you start practicing appreciation. When we talk about, and I'll just do this as an aside, when we start talking about gratitude, believe it or not, when you're thinking I'm grateful uh, for my house. I'm grateful for, you know, I have money in the bank. I'm grateful. What you're really saying is I'm grateful. I'm not homeless. I'm grateful. I, you know, I'm not broke. I'm grateful. You're really in gratitude is this piece of negativity of what's missing, what you lack because you're comparing it. You, that's what's happening. It you're like comparing that before, it. But that's, I, yeah, it's interesting. That. Yeah. They've shown it in a PET scans that that little part of your brain actually does get tickled when you are thinking that. Wow. So what I tell people instead, I know, well, try this at next Thanksgiving, get this. So you're all sitting around the table and everyone goes around. I'm grateful, you know, for my house, you know, everyone says what they're grateful for. Do this instead. Say what you appreciate right now in this moment and watch the connection change. I so appreciate 
looking across the table at my at at my brother who I haven't seen in a year. I, I, I am appreciating the smell of this food right now. It's making my mouth water and it's just, I'm so excited to eat my mom's apple pie that I haven't had. I appreciate people because it's appreciation is here and now, right this second. I'm feeling it now. It's not, I'm not future. I'm not comparing. It's not out there. It's not big. And I'm telling you, whenever I do this at Thanksgiving at my house, people, the guests are always blown away. They're like, wow, that's so different. I'm like, yeah. I know. I was just thinking about that when I was even thinking the thought of I appreciate rather than I'm grateful for, I appreciate feels better in your body. Yeah. Like it physically it feels does. better when you think about it. That's I really good. That. And you're right. <laughs> it's it's right because it's right. Isn't that yeah, great? It's right it's, here in your chest. Uh -huh. Yes, That's I love great. that. I'm going to start doing that from now on. Thank you for that tip because yeah, you're right. You're the gratitude part, even when you say that, it is, it is just like, well, we should be grateful because we are close to not having or could not have, but where the appreciation is like, it's there, I have it, it's mine. And I'm very, it's like a, a joyful feeling more than like, a, oh, I, what if, because then you're right. There's that little twinge of a fear-based what if I could lose that. Yep. Where appreciating is, it's mine, I have it. And it's right here, you know, like that yep. feeling in your heart space. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, it, it's great. I know it really, yeah. um, well in the 12 steps, you know, we write gratitude lists all the time. Gratitude's a big thing in the 12 steps. So I've written more gratitude lists than anybody on this planet. I think <laughs> like I've written, I've done gratitudes forever. And, and people say to me, well, it's semantics and it's not, and gratitude is wonderful. I am grateful for my, I mean, I'm in my beautiful office right now. You're looking at it. I, I do, I feel, but when I walk in the door, I appreciate, I just sit and I usually focus on something in my office. I have, this is my own space, right? Nobody else had a say in it. And I, it's quiet in here. And I, you know, often we'll just kind of walk in and I'll stand at my door and I'll just be in a moment and I'll just appreciate something. And it's really different. You're right. And I feel it. I like how you said that. I do. I feel it. I feel it right in my heart. And that feeling is the positive momentum. And remember what I said that your, your amygdala can't get lit up when this other thing is lit up. So right there, I'm, I'm starting it, right? I'm starting it. And, I, and so there's that feeling. And now let's say I go into the shower and what I do is I set intention a lot. You know, my, my intention is to be really mindful in the shower, right? Instead of yeah. stressing about all the things I have to do today because the showers are toughy. Um, and so maybe I'll sit in the shower and I'll really feel the warm water and I'll wash my hair and I'll feel how that feels. And I can appreciate there too. Like, you know, not, oh, I'm grateful to have water when other people don't, but oh, this water feels so good right now. You know, it's really waking me up. It, I, I feel so uh, taken care of. And I do actually in a warm shower, I just feel really, uh, feel so good. So, but there's that difference. Now I'm out of the shower, right? Now I'm setting an intention because our intentions change as the day goes on. My intention for how I drive to work is very different than my intention for making breakfast for my children, right? There's something, there's a different energy I'm bringing and you can call that whatever you want, but, and so now I'm going to, you know, uh, make breakfast and my intention is to really nourish my kids. And this is my last connection with them before I leave for the day. And I'm going to really focus on it and really make it wonderful. And so it's the very different energy. Uh, and I do that all day long. And that's the 
momentum. And it, I've timed it because <laughs> I'm crazy like that. And I call it the 18 second shift because it's an average of 18 seconds to stop and set intention, to stop and really think about, right? What, what I, how I want to be walking in this next space. And that's the other kind of key, because this leads right into it of not having all these negative thoughts, negative thinking is that when you're like that, your vibrational stance is very different. And, you know, we call this calibration, right? You're calibrated to sort of a higher level. And so I hear a lot of people say, well, I was in a good mood. And then my husband came home and he was in a bad mood. So then I was in a bad mood. And I always think to him, I'm like, why, why couldn't he calibrate to your good mood? Why was that the other way? Why is that always the dominant that we go that way? And I get it's biology and it is our genetics that we are geared to be looking at the negative. I understand that, but we know this now. We have knowledge now. So right there, really be thoughtful about, so if my calibration is like higher and I'm really in intention and I'm in intentionality, if, if my partner comes home in a bad mood, I can really just think, compassionately again from love. Oh, they're not in a good space. How can I, you know, not being codependent, not like, Oh, let me kiss their butt and let me make them feel better. Don't make them feel anything. This isn't what we're doing instead, just to be that shining light, to be that warm fire, right. That people want to, you know, come warm their hands up on, you know, instead what sometimes happens is like, you know, well, why are you mad at me? I, I, you know, I was in a good mood till you came home and you know, why are you taking it out on me? And we get in this thing again, fear to fear. If your partner's coming home in a bad mood, they're in a fear place. So how can you be in that love place? That's all. How can you be in graciousness and generosity and love? And sometimes that just means just a stillness, just a quiet, loving openness that people can feel. Mm -hmm. And I do say that all the time. Everyone is always feeling what we're putting out. And there's a really wonderful uh, researcher, Timothy Wilson, who uh, did this great research. And what they found is that our, get this, our conscious brains process information at a rate of 40 to 50 bits per second, while our subconscious or unconscious brain processes information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. So people don't hear what you say, they hear what you mean. So if you're aligned in that higher vibration, that higher calibration, even if you're quiet and you're in that openness, that energy is, as we call it, is picked up on. Your your partner will know. Just like you knew they were in a bad, I can tell if Gary's in a bad mood and I I could be across the house, right? You know, you know this. tell if your kids are, there's like a disturbance in the force, you know, you sort of know. And, and the same goes the other way though, you know, they're picking up on what you have going on also. And that calming, loving, open energy to really allow them space, that compassion for them. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it, but you can just be compassionate. These person's having a hard day. I think you feel it right there when you said you don't have to fix it. Too many people think it's our job to fix other people and to fix other people's problems. And I'm guilty of this myself. You don't, you're not responsible for fixing it or changing it. Sometimes all people need you to be is just present. They just need you to be there. And like you said, if you're quiet and you're still in this place of feeling good, 
people can pick up on that. And, and that sometimes can be the thing that just changes everything because your quietness and just continuing to be in your high vibration, people notice that. And then they, they kind of, at, to me, I've seen people like stop in their tracks, like, okay, what are you doing? Like, why are you in such a good mood? Or like, what's going on with you? And then that's an opportunity for you to say, you know, well, bad things happen, you know, and I understand you're having a bad day. It doesn't have to affect your whole day. You know, we can like, yep. but you don't have to fix people. And that is, I think the biggest thing people need to get into their heads. It's not your job mm -hmm. to fix anyone else. Yep. And, and not only is it not your job, it hurts them. Yeah. Because people have to come to their own place. And that's why I love asking questions. Yeah. So you can ask questions, not, you know, why were you in a bad mood when you came home? That's not a, that's not, that's a critical, that's criticizing. Right. But asking questions is there, Hey, is there anything I can do for you tonight? Is there anything I can get for you right now? You start there just with service. And then you can sort of ease in like, Hey, how was, you know, anything happened today at work? How was your day? What, what's happening? How you feel or how are you feeling right now? Yeah. I think when how are you feeling right now? Fix everyone all the time. We're robbing them of their ability to critically yep. think about their own yep. lives and especially yep. our children. So many parents do that. And I've been guilty of it in the past myself when you want to go in and fix everything. And then they don't know how to fix things on their own when they get older. So you're teaching them very valuable skills, life skills yep. in problem solving. <laughs> yep. Even, and I would say this with parenting, even, you know, like we have a particular time we have dinner. So if my kids will come to me in the afternoon and say, Hey, can I go to so-and-so's house or can I go whatever? And I'm like, well, we have dinner at five 30. What do you think? Instead of like, no, you don't have enough time to get there and get back because I want them to think it through. I can't tell you how many times they've done it. They come in there and they're like, oh yeah, all right, never mind. Yeah. They they do like you. It's not me being like you know laying down the law. It's them critically thinking. Can that work? Yeah. And can I make that happen? And just sort of reminding them maybe of rules or reminding them gently like that, like oh we eat dinner. If I you know what do you think? It's it's just I put it back to them a lot. And I'm so bossy Jewish mother, like you can't imagine, <laughs> I really, I bite my tongue on a minute by minute basis with my teenagers. Um, and, and it's so I, yeah, I mess up all the time, but the majority of the time, and I do have kids who think well, and, you know, are kind and considerate, you know, we, and I'll even ask them that, like, if they see something happen, if I see something happen, that's not or if they open the door, this happened the other day, Max opened the door, you know, he always opens the door for people, which I really like. I, th I think it's just a nice gesture in the world. And I said, and I saw the woman really smile. Like it's, you know, without masks now, I can see people smile uh, in some places, but you know, she was really smiling. Like she was clearly, and she said to me and he didn't hear it. She said, what a nice boy you raised. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's really great. That feels really good. It felt really good to hear. Yeah. And later I said to him, you know, how do you feel when you open the door for people? Like that woman actually was really, you know, I told him what she said and he's like, oh, I guess that's not why I do it. He said, I don't know. He said, it feels good. It's nice to do it. Yeah. He said, it feels a little connecting without me being, now he's a boy, he's a 17 year old boy without me being all, you know, love, you know, like, you know, I forget the word he used, but airy fairy, I think was like it. And I, you know, and so I got him just thinking about why he does that. 
so he can be more attached to it. You know, those kinds of things. They're all really simple and small, but it's really how we create connection. It's really how we, again, create this sort of positive momentum where people are really thinking about things. They're really attached to doing them uh, in, a, in a much different way. Yeah, I love that. And I was, I want to circle back to something you said a while back, but I was thinking about this and it just popped into my head again, but you talked about the time it takes 15 seconds. I think you said 18, in between, 18 in between each thing you do where you're setting a new intention or something. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to point out is I know there are so many people who, um, don't like to plan and they just like do everything last minute and procrastination is a big thing that a lot of people struggle with. And I would just mm -hmm. like to point out that it's hard when you procrastinate and you wait till the last minute to do everything to get that 18 seconds in to really switch gears. And I know personally from teaching, like if I'm not well planned, which I usually am, but you know, everyone has their days that they're off and you get there and you're late and you're running late and you're trying to get everything ready. You don't have that intention to stop what you're doing and say, okay, I'm going to stand at the door and greet my kids when they come in and smile and say good morning, which you usually always do. And it changes the, I don't know, I think it changes the atmosphere and the attitude of everything. Yep. Because there are some kids, like I had a student one year who wrote me a card and just said, thank you for always saying hi and smiling in the morning. And, you know, you don't think people notice those kinds of things when you do it. You know, you're just like, this is just what I want to do every day. Mm -hmm. But they do. They do notice those things. Yep. And the same thing, if you're rushing always from one thing to another, I think you're not as focused with your intention. You're not. You be. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of things suffer from that and people don't realize that. Oh, it's such a good point. It really is. And that's why if you really, you always have 18 seconds. <laughs> Because if you're running late anyway, and you're right to the minute anyway, what's a minute and 18 seconds? Yeah, it, it's, it's not that much. And I would even, and I encourage when I uh, do work with teachers, I always say to them, what, make the class part of your intention. Start the day and go, you know, I was feeling really rushed. Anybody else feeling really rushed this morning? Were your parents pushing you, you know, depending on the age of the kids, right? You know, where you feel, because that's one of the number one complaint of of kids, by the way, is feeling rushed by their parents. Number one in, in the monitoring the future study. But anyway, but so have the kid and then they can talk about that. And then you can say, well, let's set intention right now. What, what do we all want? What, how do we want this morning to go? How would we like, or this next class to go? How would, let me hear from everybody. Give me one word. How would you, you know, what do you want? And I'll start um, inspired. You know, you could say what, what one word, what one wonder energy do you want to bring? It also helps with vocabulary. Uh, you know, you could you could make it part of a lesson if you wanted. You know, um, but there's so many ways. If you're in a business meeting, when I go in, I often will start the meeting saying, "Hey, I'd like everyone just to." Uh, my intention is that we all come to an amazing agreement today, even when people have differing opinions. That we all understand that we're here for each other and we're going to have an amazing meeting. That's my intention. What's yours? And I go around. I have people say it. And it really helps because I just had this recently. One of the guys who's kind of long-winded said, well, okay, it's my intention not to talk too much today. And everybody sort of laughed. <laughs> but during the meeting, he was. He was sort of pontificating. And one of the other people, not me, said, you know, hey, Bob, 
uh, you're doing that thing, you know, very nicely. And he laughed. He's like, oh God, here, I, okay, I lost my intention, you know? And we all came back. And these are like, this is a, you know, this isn't an airy fairy business place. This is a, a major um, business. And, you know, and people really appreciate it. And they always come out later. And, and I'm telling you, the energy shifts, like you said. And this is just more overt. What you're doing is in a way that people might not notice it. And what you're they do notice it, sorry, where they might not say it. And so all I'm doing is doing it in a way that people actually say it so they can see it. And then you can ask students later in the day, like, hey, how did it feel when we set intention in that class? And then we didn't in this one. Did you notice a difference? I, I don't know, ask, you know, find out, do a little experiment. There's lots of ways to really incorporate it or even just a moment where everybody is really quiet, puts their hand on their heart and just has a moment, you know, that's it. That's it. One thing they appreciate, one thing, whatever. It's you can have people conspire, conspire in the best way. Conspire is with like with inspiration, right? With like you can have them all on the team with you, helping you keep this positive momentum so that you're not, in this example, the teacher in the front always having to drive that bus, right? Always having, I mean, <laughs> once a year I used to go into my kids dad's classroom and I would do a class on something right and third grade and I would go and I would do like beating and something I have to tell you I would leave after the one period the one period and I'd walk outside like oh my god what time is it oh I was like oh I just drink I'm ready to go home and nap and it's like 9 30 <laughs> thinking oh my gosh how does he do this all day where there's very few jobs like that. I actually have a job like that. The difference is when I'm working with clients, it's one, maybe two, right? You know, at a time, not all these, all this energy of all these yeah. people. It's, it's a very specific thing. Yeah. It's the first day of school every year. You know, I remember the first day of teaching coming home, like, I don't know how people do this and you get used to it, but it is, it is the most energetically draining thing. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, it's like, you're always yeah. on stage, yeah. always performing whole time. Yeah. Whole time. You can't stand in front of a, a class and take a moment to scroll through Facebook. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Like you, you have to be there. And I think people really don't understand that with that kind of profession. There are some other professions like, you know, my, the nurses I work with also have this, you know, mm -hmm. especially if they work like critical care or something where literally the entire time they're just giving to people, you know, and they can't even barely take time for breaks, but it's that same idea. There's very few jobs like that. People don't understand. They're like, well, I'm busy all day too. I'm like, yeah, but you know, you can be in a meeting and turn off your zoom. You're not running every meeting. You're not, you know, <laughs> you're not managing 30 people at a time all day long. Like they don't, it, it's hard to understand. I think if I hadn't grown up with a mom as a teacher and then married a teacher, I don't think I would understand it either. It's a culture that's hard to tap into. Um, but it does, it leaves you at the end of the day in a different space then me too. You know, I, again, yeah, it's true. I'm sort of emotionally. Yeah. There's that, that zap that happens. And I have to recharge my battery, which I do during the day and before I go home. And I will say that the positive momentum piece does help in keeping the battery, not getting fully drained along with, as you know, sleep and everything else. Right. right? 
Oh, I think that's so important. And I definitely have to do this. And I think other people, it's important that you do it is, and I've had clients that I've worked with who have a hard time with this is that leaving the work at work. And I always say that even as a teacher, I know, and we're like, oh, we always care. But I, I set an intention that I don't take my job home with me because I know how detrimental that can be. And so when I leave the school, like I don't take papers home to grade. If I'm going to grade it, I stay at school to do it and do it there. Because when it's you great. start mixing that, you got to set those boundaries for yourself and make them healthy. Yep. So it's important. And especially if you're a work from home person anyway, because I know a lot of people are now with COVID and everything that happened, you got to set that boundary where at this time I'm done and I'm going to yep. take mental, like, just clear your energy, clear your space before you come home, because that's what happens is we take our stuff home with us. And then if we had a bad day at work, we end up taking that out on the people we love at home. What had nothing to do with those people. And, you know, so we've, I think people yep. really need to start being better about, I think we're the only like society still where well, we're not the only ones, but we have too long of a work day, you know, in mm -hmm. other countries, their work days are shorter. They get more vacation yeah. time yep. and they're still paid a good salary and they have healthcare and all of these things. And we're a society yep. where we have to worry about all that. We have to worry that right. our company wants us to work 50 hours a week and that, you know, we, we only get 10 days of vacation or whatever it is that we get. People need to be more, I think, intentional about setting the time for themselves and not allowing their work to spill over into that and having the time for themselves, for their families, for honoring their inner child and playing and being passionate about life. We've got to set that boundary that I'm not going to take my work home with me. I'm not going to talk about my work from, you know, uh, we'd have mm -hmm. to tell my sister this all the time because God love her. She's also, she's a special ed teacher. We'll go out to dinner and she'll talk the whole time about her class. And we'll have to say like, okay, you have this much time to talk about it. And yes. we're not talking about it. Like we're right. not talking about it. Done. That. Yes. Yeah. Where's the rest of your that's life? Draining. Yeah. yeah. That's draining on you. And it's it is. Her, and it will yep. burn you out like nobody's business. So you really got to yep. be very conscious about setting that boundary. Yep. And I'll give you two quick ways I do that. One of them I've been doing forever is the setting intention. When I drive home, I park the car down the street. I don't pull in the driveway because, you know, then everyone knows you're there. I just on my block and I, I, in my head, I, I close my eyes. I just sort of take, you know, one breath, kind of a deep breath, get that vagus nerve turned on. Nothing special though, but I close my eyes again. It takes about 18 seconds. So I know you have it. And I personally picture this big door closing, this big, huge door. Be it's a beautiful door. It's not a mean door, but a big door closing. And sometimes I'll see my clients like trying to get around the sides, you know, like, like trying to reach in, you know, as I close the door and I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. Get in, get in. And I just picture literally closing that door completely. And then I set intention for how I want to be when I walk in the house. Because otherwise, I'm bossy, impatient. I'm so impatient. That's one of the things I work on. Uh, Task-oriented, crazy, again, Jewish mom. So, I'll, you know, I used to walk in like, where's it? Oh, who's picked up the dog poop? Who's done homework? What's going on? When's the bath time? Who's got their cleats? Who got, you know, and I am like directing. And 
people don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone would sort of pull back. And, and instead, and again, yeah, where's the joy? Where's the, you know, wow, I haven't seen my, my family all day. Where's the joy? So instead I set this intention. Like I want to be, you know, fun or whatever when I walk in the house and then I drive up and I come in and I will tell you my, my son, especially he has said to me before, mom, did you not stop the car on the way home? Cause they know I do this. <laughs> he can tell for my energy again, that 50 yeah. versus 11 million bits. He can tell that I'm not quite in that space. And then the other thing I do when I first get home, you know how, you know, as, as women, especially we have this, and now that I'm old, older, um, pushing, getting closer to 60, I really try to take better care of my face, but right before bed, you look amazing. Oh, you're very sweet. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, right before bed, I was never doing it. Cause I'm so tired. I don't want to wash my face and put on all the lotions and do all the right things right before bed. For me, when I come home from work, that's my little transition. I go in the bedroom, I go in my bathroom and I like take off my makeup and I, you know, I do all the things, wonderful things to my face that I'm supposed to do all my lotions and potions. And I take out my contact lenses, you know, I just like come home and maybe I change clothes or something, but I have this little, you know, 15 minutes. What does it take? It's not much, but it's this other transition where I'm literally changing my uniform to now like have the rest of the night. So to speak to what you're saying, it's kind of like, um, you know, even if you work from home to have that demarcation, to go in the other room and maybe do something like that, brush and floss your teeth. If you suck at doing that right before you go to bed. Yeah. That's the best time to do it, but you know what? It's better to do it earlier than not at all. Right. So I, I sometimes floss my teeth the one time in the middle of the day. I, I admit I don't do it twice a day. Sometimes I, it, cause it's like, all right, I did it. I did it once today and I have more energy now than I will later. So that's another way to like, sort of do that. I'm taking care of myself. I'm creating a demarcation. I'm really shifting gears mentally, physically, emotionally, and really getting into a different place. So hopefully that helps too. Like something like that to really speak to what you're saying, which is so, so important to have a boundary. Yeah, you know what I do sometimes too is um, when I come home from work, sometimes I will actually work out then because if there I wait go. until later at night, I'll be like, no, I talk myself out of it and then I'm too tired and I don't want to get up early in the morning to do it because I want my sleep. So I might do it when I come home from work in the late afternoon. That way, not only does it get done, but then I have a little bit more energy for the rest of the evening because I've went yeah. after working out, I feel better. So. Sometimes that's yep. for me. Excellent. I love that. So anything like that, you know, anyone listening, just think about what yours can be, right? What can your ritual be? Like what could, and it's like a ritual, you know, it's like a little yeah. thing you do to signal your brain that this is now happening and it's really going to help you hold and keep your boundaries when, when you do things like this. So it's, 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 and you're, you'll look, you'll be fit or your face will look nice or your teeth will be brushed or whatever else. So it's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. And make it something you love, make it something you love to do, yeah. even, you know, so that it puts you in that great space, headspace, mood, whatever, before you finish your evening. I love that. Well, I yeah. love this conversation. This has been an amazing conversation and so much fun. So if people want to work with you or they want to follow you because you have great advice and information, how's the best way they can do that? 
The best thing to do is to come to the website, which is abbymedcalf.com. It's A-B-B-Y-M-E-D is in Donald, C-A-L-F.com, abbymedcalf.com. Everything is there. The, the podcast, the blog, the YouTube channels, all the social media, everything is there. The there's free things on the shop page, like little learned optimism workshop you can take or a mindfulness starter kit, things like that, that are totally free. You don't have to put in a credit card. It's nothing, I'm not sketchy. There's nothing sketchy about it. Uh, and, you know, just a lot of free resources to, re that's my goal with the website, to really help people think differently so they can truly feel this connection in their relationships, this ease, this joy. So it's all there going over the website. I love that. So I will have the link to her website in the show notes too. You can go right there and click directly there and it will take you to all those amazing free resources. Well, I always like to leave our audience with a little nugget of wisdom. So I'm going to ask you today, if there's one piece of advice you could give our listeners, what would that be? I, you know, I had something different in my head earlier, but I really want to come back to the love versus fear because that really hit for you. And I'm really feeling that right this minute. Uh, it would be to really to check your feelings all the time and see, is this from a love space or is this from a fear space? And if it's from the fear space, take yourself over to the love space and communicate from there, communicate only from there. I love it. Absolutely love it. Great piece of advice. And you've given us so much wisdom throughout this whole podcast. I would love to have you back anytime. Thank you so much for being here with That's us. That's great. Thank you. I love being here. Thank you for being so gracious. And I want to thank all of you for being here with us today. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. You can leave some stars on iTunes. And the biggest compliment you can pay is to share this podcast with anyone you think might benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media. I go live Mondays on Facebook at 630 Central, where I do free card reading. If you show up for the live, I'll pull a card especially for you. And if you want to work with me, you can go to my website, melissaoatman.com. There you'll see all the services I offer, and you can purchase directly from the website and then contact me to schedule. I hope you guys are having a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. As always, I'm sending you so much love and light, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys. <music>